Welcome to Rogues on the Road, discovered in 1812, naked and afraid under the deep and unforgiving canopy of Central Park. This indigenous duo sold their share of the Louisiana Purchase, swam to Port Chester, and set up shop with their co-host, the Standby Gypsy. From their humble beginnings, Rogues on the Road has quickly become the longest-running and most popular food and beverage podcast in recorded history. So, sit back, pour a cold pint, and tighten your spray skirt, you ninny-muggin. That's awesome. Welcome to another episode of Rogues on the Road. Uh, we're broadcasting live from the comfort of our own homes. Um, so I'm Rich. And I'm Matt, and we have a special guest with us uh, from the uh, North Fork of, I'm, I'm guessing it's the North Fork of Long Island. We got Matt Ketchum from uh, Peconic Gold Oysters. Uh, so welcome, well, welcome to the show. Thank, thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. So are, were we correct? Is it North Fork of Long Island? Yeah, that's that's where we're at. Um, East End. Okay. North Fork, yep. Okay. And you own run an oyster farm so how does one start out like that <laughs> out of all the farming and 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 talk about slow farming that's like it doesn't get much slower than that well, it sounds yeah. like it's amped up definitely a slow food um takes us you know anywhere from a year and a half to two and a half years to get an oyster to market the size you know they all sort of grow at different rates but basically i grew up fishing and at some point, I got lucky and uh, I won my lease in a lottery. So now I, I lease ten acres of underwater land from the county. That's and, awesome. Uh, that's where my farm is. It's underwater. So you're literally well, ma- yeah. Go for well, it. Many pe- well, was there many people in the lottery? The first uh, couple of years, there wasn't. I mean, there was there was enough where you know you weren't sure if you were gonna get it, right. and I got lucky. But now there's a long waiting list. There's also been a couple other towns uh a couple other townships that have now been uh starting their own lease programs so there's some opportunities for people that wish to get started that's a good sign yeah so you so you you lease land underwater and you farm that land do you do you, you pay for the lease or is it how does that all work out yeah, our lease fees with the count with the Suffolk County program that I'm involved in are uh, not too expensive. Some of the townships they're a little more expensive. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I think it's maybe a hundred dollars an acre or something like that. And some some of those operations are a little bit smaller. But you know we have a lot of permits and a lot of licenses that we have to get. And just yeah, I'm sure. We, the initial startup costs are, are huge for starting a farm. You need a lot of cages, the seed, you need a boat. So a lot of times you need another working platform or some sort of a home base close to the shore. Um, so it's very uh, capital intensive early on. So you, you, so have you, to, you yeah. sorry, you started in 2009? I started in 2013. Okay. And... So you lease the land. How long is the process from, uh, you know, I've got this, I've got this dream to raise oysters to actual fruition. Well, you can, you know, get your permits 
just within a year. I mean, it takes a while, but if you really are a squeaky wheel and keep going the Army Corps and Coast Guard and the town and the DC, you know, there's a lot of agencies you have to deal with, and sometimes they're not always on the same page. But you can get your permits and everything, you know, all sorted out within a year. Okay. Then you got to get your seed and your cages in the water. And then it's, you know, another year and a half after that when you can finally sell some of that first batch of seed. But all along, you're putting more time and money into it. You're getting more seeds. So you have stuff the following year. Um, and you got to keep the ball rolling. So, you know, a lot of reinvestment. My first six years in business, this was finally going to be the year where we did really well. And, you know, now we're just trying to get through it with yeah. the times being as hard as they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, so what's what's the process of oyster farming? Yeah, where does one buy a seed? Look, look, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have visions. Oh, yeah, well, where do we get the seed? Um, yeah. There, well, there's some commercial hatcheries. You know, there's some people that do that part of the farming, and then there's some people that do uh, my part of the farming. You know, I've, I've been working on the water for a while, so I'm really good at working on the water, rigging things up. We have a lot of machinery that lifts the cages. And, yeah, that's cool. You know, I'm good at uh, the heavy lifting. You know, my, my crew and I, we got some strong backs, I guess. But I never was one to look in a microscope and do much of that. But, um, like, I got my seed from a great company out here, Aros, um, Aros Aquaculture. And this is Karen Rabara, who's well-known within the whole country for her aquaculture expertise expertise and i get my seed from her it's like half the size of my pinky nail about really? uh, 12 millimeters to 16 millimeter and basically we put those into like window screen size mesh bags and they go into cages that have little shelves and then once we can get them out of there into like the half inch or one inch mesh cages so that they have more water flow then uh then they're a little more easy to work with but i'm i'm looking i'm looking at the the larger cages right now with them in yeah, there. The yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, I interesting, I I spent some time in the early 90s working on a lobster boat out of Long Island Sound in Stanford until, the, until there were no more lobsters. There was an old uh, oyster farmer by the name of Talmadge Brothers, and I don't know if they're still operating. Um, were they buying, is this the, is this the, how it's always been done? You always get seed from, from, you know, a seed source or, you know, do each area produce a different style of oyster? Well, everything from Maine down to Florida, you know, it's the same species. It's an Eastern oyster, but it's very okay. similar to a Merlot grape where, you know, I'll put my name on it because of where it's from and how it looks right. and how it tastes. And, uh, you know, somebody down in the other bay will call their, well, there's uh, something different. You got a few different names out here. For example, you got Oyster Ponds, Great Guns, Thatch Island, um, you know, Peconic Pearls, and we call ours Peconic Golds. But uh, for the most part, yeah, we have to buy the seed and put them on our farm. Some people put them on the bottom. Some people put them in cages. Um, but there's not too much of a wild set like there used to be. Gotcha. It used to just be in the wild and you sort of more or less ranch it. And I think there's a lot of that going on in North Carolina where the oysters are already there, but they'll sort of tend to them, move right. them around a little bit, try to keep them organized and, and uh, ranch it like that. Right, right. 
Has the uh, oyster industry grown over the years? Yeah, production has been doubling every five years. Wow. Uh, it's been crazy. I mean, That's awesome. a lot of lot of oysters coming out of Massachusetts now. They, they grow them on the bottom a lot up there. So they were able to just bottom plant a lot. Right. You know, they don't have to worry about having cages and stuff. And a lot of that stuff has been competing with our New York oysters in the right. city. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely a growing industry. Most most of the growers are part time, but uh, you know there's some major major players on the, on yeah. the top end of the full timers that are really pumping out you know millions of oysters. Right, right, right. So, so yeah, it actually sounds very it sounds similar to beer, like craft beer. You know, like there's <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. You know, there's a there's a lot of terroir at at place. Um, how has how has water quality um, obviously, it impacts what you do, and 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 especially right now, and especially right now, environmental changes, right? Yeah, well, water quality. You know, we depend on we depend on it. I like to say, you know, the, we work for the environment, and the environment works for us because obviously the oysters do uh, a great deal of good for the water as well. Um, you know, I'd like to see more sewer systems instead of cesspools. Uh, as we, you know, continue putting up buildings, especially out here, and mm. they need to upgrade so, some of the sewage treatment uh, plants. But of course, that's uh, a lot of money, and you mm. know, they want to just kick the can down the road a lot of times. But we had, we had something scary this year where all the base scallops died off, and uh, a lot of people were saying climate change, climate change, but. I, th- I thought it had a little something to do with the nitrogen going into the water. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. There wasn't much talk about that. I mean, a- a- anyways, they ended up finding a parasite oh, well. uh, present in a lot of the scallops that had something to do with it. Thank God the parasite can't affect the oysters, but it just right. wants to show you, you know, really scary. You know, if, if things really go downhill quick, you know, you could lose everything in this business. And, you know, we ho- have to hold on to these animals for o- over a year so. Yeah, right. And is there like a legal size that you're allowed to harvest them? Uh, for wild harvesters, there's a three-inch size limit. But for us, we can sell them at any time. But we, my business, you know, we try to focus on selling quality. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of people just selling as many as they can, as quick as they can. But we're in it for the long term, and we have a, a really strong brand, and we go direct to consumer a lot. So. We always try to get the best oysters we can off the farm. And if something needs a little more time because the shell is a little bit thin or a little bit small, we'll handle it a couple more times, put it to the side and write it in our notes. And then when that, you know, when those right. cages of oysters are ready, then we'll tap the cage again and bring them in. That's cool. Oh, and do you um, do you turn the cages for, for a, I don't know how else to put it, a well-cupped oyster? As, yes. po- as opposed uh, we, to, to uh, as opposed to a flat shell. Yeah, yeah, we handle our oysters uh, a lot, and a lot of times the slower growing oysters that take a lot longer to get to market size mm. are some of the most meatiest, strongest shelled, easy to shuck oysters that we have. Um, by my estimations, we handle a market size oyster anywhere from twelve to twenty six times before it hits a plate. Um, and that's sort of what I built my business around uh, uh, on is 
having the equipment and being really efficient at being able to process a lot of oysters, tumble them a lot, sort them out, keep them real happy, growing fast. Um, so we're really efficient in doing that. And I like to think that we handle our oysters more efficiently and uh, more times than a lot of other guys. Well, it, so you, yeah, go for it. So, so you guys are putting up cages daily? What was that? You guys are putting up cages daily? Oh, yeah. Every day we're out with we're harvesting. Um, you know, they're just starting to grow now. Right. So we're catching up on a little bit of tumbling still from last fall. That's cool. And, and then once they start growing, there's really no keeping up with it. But then the water gets really hot, sort of like the end of July, and we catch up on it a little bit because um, they seem to slow down. Kind of like you look at your grass in your backyard. Yeah. Just starting to grow now. The oysters are doing the same thing. And then when it gets really hot, it's, uh, the grass slows down a little bit. But mm -hmm. yeah, we're, we're always tumbling them, sorting them out. Um, awesome. And you can tell because the oysters are nice and healthy and meaty. Yeah. Right. You're, we have oysters, when we have some friends that are up in Quag, and we've we've had your oysters numerous times. And they're consistently just, yeah. you know, whether or not it's terroir, you know, it, it, that plays a part in it. But your oysters are like the perfect brine, the perfect size, um, and just a well-balanced oyster that you can do a lot with. It, so, so yeah. keep, keep doing what you're doing. How many? How many are you harvesting? Is it is it per day, per week, per month? You know, how does that how does that work out? How how do you know how many to get? Well, uh, I usually have chefs in my phone, you know, I'm texting with them. Now we're allowed to have a farm stand here, but basically cool. I try to focus on like a weekly average of sales and uh, I'll walk uh, around that, right? Yeah, 90% of my uh, sales are to restaurants. Like this time of year, you know, we, we really hope to be doing at least 10,000 a week. Wow. wow. So, uh, you know, a lot, lot less. But How many with that going on now, and now it's just direct to consumer and, and retail, and now we're focusing on doing some value-added products. How many cages do you have? Uh, we got over 500 cages in the water, and I got a bunch out of the water that will be going in throughout the season as they grow. That's, well, that's amazing. It. And yeah. It, yeah. is there – so what's the old wives' tale with uh, certain months it's good to get oysters and other months you should you should stay away from? Um, yeah, that, that holds some water, although May and June, some of my favorite times to eat oysters, but that's sort of a general rule. Um, the oysters spawn in June okay. and then after that, they really are sort of thin and watery, but ours seem to fatten up again towards the end of August. Cause then you're into September and all the way through April, they're great. But May and June is also really good for Long Island oysters. Oh, that's good. That's to cool. Know. That's, that's and, and will one variety of oyster taste different depending on where it's been farmed? Oh, absolutely. Just like you said, it's the, the meroir and a lot like grapes and uh, right. and all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because cool. if you have, I mean, some of these, you know, the famous uh, Kumamoto's out, out on the West Coast, uh, you know, are significantly different and smaller and tastes like the ocean out there tastes like the pacific not like uh, you know an estuary uh, you know in new york right what oh, is it? yeah go, go for on. it rich no, go. what are what are some of the challenges that you've run into over the years 
Uh, just keeping up with maintenance on equipment, yep. finding good crew. You know, I'm fortunate. I have one really good uh, go on my deck boss. He's, he's always there. He's the most reliable, dependable guy I have. Uh, you know, we got three boats and two trucks now, so it's hard to keep everything running smoothly. Um, does Ryan, to... Sorry, does Ryan go with you? Uh, he's not allowed when we're harvesting, but we've, we've taken him for a few boat rides, but he's got a taste for snails and crabs. Awesome. He likes to eat shells and he's a, he's a super chewer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking, I'm looking right at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah but we feed, we feed him oysters here and there and he likes them. That's awesome. And, we're talking um, about dog, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, I've been trying to get more acreage or even be able to sublease, uh, some acreage a little bit closer to my house and the county has not been too cooperative with you know working with us growers that are well established and you know i could be providing internships for prospective yeah. growers and yeah uh working with them and you know doing some education but um they're a little overwhelmed right now because of some pushback so they they haven't been too cooperative with helping me expand my operation because i'm starting to get limited with the 10 acres and my, my lease site is nine miles across the bay. And sure. uh, so it was a lot of logistical issues and dealing with the weather. A lot of other operations guys put on their waders and walk right into the water there. I have to get on, you know, I have to bring my two boats nine miles across the bay, which wow. when it gets rough all of a sudden and you have a load of gear on the boat, it could be very yeah. dangerous, especially yeah. in the winter. Yeah, sure. And you, you would think in this day and age, like, you know, it, you're you're a steward of the land, so it would it would make sense for you to have as many acres as you possibly can, because in turn you're you're taking care of the estuary, um, and overseeing it and being able to report out there seeing stuff um, environmentally or or otherwise that might be affecting the actual estuary. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. You know, we were com- we came across this clip. Uh, I'm going to play this clip, which was a uh, an unlikely. I wouldn't have thought it would have been a challenge, but it sounds like it, it very much is. So we're gonna we're gonna play this real quick. Water fight on the East End, pitting recreational boaters against shellfish growers. The Mariners say the clam and oyster growers are jeopardizing their safety. News 12 Long Island's Doug Geed explains in a story you'll see only on 12. This is a routine Matt Ketchum and his crew do year-round. They raise oysters in Peconic Bay. The shellfish are kept in underwater cages attached to ropes. Buoys floating on top of the water mark the spot where the cages are. But some recreational boaters say with dozens of oyster farmers now working the bay, the buoys and gear have started to become potential navigational hazards. A local yacht club is asking Suffolk County to put a moratorium on any new aquaculture leases. Oyster farmers say it's unnecessary. I think they're being a little bit unreasonable. We're out here year-round, you know, making a living. 
When they're in Florida, we're out here breaking through ice. Right now, there are 55 operators allowed to work out on the water. They have an area of about 10 acres each, but the county will soon be giving out six more licenses. Critics say some of the sites being considered for new leases are inappropriate. There are nine areas that are heavily used by folks uh, returning to Shelter Island or coming to harbors on the east end and then Panic Bay. And those are the sites that we recommended not be leased. County legislator Bridget Fleming says she doesn't think a moratorium will happen, but she says the county will be reviewing the types of gear that can be used. I am very confident that we're going to be able to achieve a balance between the needs and concerns of the recreational boaters and the oyster farmers. But those who work the waters argue they already face unfair regulations and they're afraid of anything else that might hamper their industry. If anything really happens to the future here and I can't get a renewal on my lease, then what do I do? I'm going to end up having to pack my stuff up, sell everything and move somewhere else where where people really do support aquaculture. In Southampton, Doug Geed, News 12, Long Island. So that's... Good for you, Good for you man. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that would have been a problem. And, you know, obviously, recreational boaters, that's, I'm sure you run into... I'm sure you run into a lot of issues, and I'm sure you probably have a few stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, our spot is really out of the way. I haven't had any conflict. I've had... A couple guys maybe run through my lease when they could have easily went around, you know, my area. Like, I'm away from channels. I'm away from a high traffic area. I'm not on a spot where there's any wild fisheries. All this stuff was sorted out during the formation of the program. And there was, you know, several public comment periods, even between, even before and after every lease was given out. If, if they gave out as many leases as they're planning on, it still would be less than 1% of the bay. Wow. There's been zero incidents of a sailboater hitting a, a cage or anything like that. And, you know, I've, I'm out there almost every day of the year, at least 300 days of the year. And I haven't seen a sailboater since September. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, do we <laughs> yeah. get a little more of a, of a benefit? I mean, do we get a little more of a say because... We're actually, you know, I have a couple employees. I'm stimulating the economy, spending yeah, right. on a sustainable yeah. form of protein. We yeah. pay for the water use rights, and and uh, we're cleaning the environment. So it's so crazy. Sounds yeah. like a win-win. Well, yep. yeah, it also sounds very political. I'm sure there's yeah. a, a yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's I'm yeah. sure it's very political. A but, lot of the yacht clubs have a lot of money and power and influence. You know, their yeah. families have been here for a while and uh you know they want us here they don't want us there so they put us out in the middle of the bay where there's where it's 40 feet of water really rough muddy bottom and it's a tricky spot to grow oysters so then you're forced to use the top of the water column with floating cages but then they have a problem with that so i think they need to work with us a little more and maybe um you know we need to we need to both compromise and find some areas that maybe would be better for aquaculture, which, you know, right. was the whole point of the program was yeah. to find these middle grounds, but they didn't really participate, and now they just want us gone. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough fight. Do you, yeah. is there, in a, you know, like a guild, an alliance, uh, something like that, do you, where you can talk and, and communicate with other oyster farmers and kind of get together to, to advocate for yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. We have the Long Island Oyster Grower Association and uh, 
a really big association is the East Coast Shellfish Growers Association. Um, and, you know, we see this happening up and down the coast. It's happening in the Chesapeake Bay right now. It's happening up in Maine. And, uh, you know, also I'm a board member of the Long Island Farm Bureau. And they've been, they've been great in helping us. And my, uh, my underwater land now is a part of the Ag District. So I'm actually protected by the Right to Farm Act. Oh, oh wow! A lot of pushback, so they can't just get rid of me. That's so, <laughs> it's, it, and it sounds like if they tried, it wasn't gonna. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna be easy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, good for you, man. Wow. That's awesome. So, um, there's a there's another uh, program. I don't know if you know of them. The uh, which is trying to bring oysters back. Uh, to like the Hudson River estuary and and Long Island Sound, the the billion oyster program. All right. Do oh you, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, that's Pete Malinowski, who's the son of Steve Malinowski from Fisher's Island Oyster Farm. He's a teacher over there on Governor's Island, and they have a great sort of um, sort of like a trade school for these kids that are actually learning something in a growing industry now and they got the kids over there working on engines working in a hatchery doing field work planting the oysters monitoring them and it's been a great success i don't know how many they've put in the water so far but i know the the numbers blow you away when you hear them it's really a good program and we try to participate in their events whenever we can that's great have they been doing that for long i'm not sure how many years Probably five or six years they've been okay. uh, doing that, and normally we have a big, a big shebang. I think it was supposed to be May seventh, and it's pretty cool because I see all my buddies from Rhode Island and all the oyster farmers from all the different states, and we all get together and, and do a big benefit uh, fundraiser event there somewhere in Brooklyn. That's but, great. Uh, now it got postponed till the fall, so hopefully everything's uh, back to some sort of norm. Yeah. 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 Wow. And that that just brings awareness and, you know, to the younger generation um to to protect uh you know our estuary and Long Island Sound and the Hudson River. Um I mean, we saw we're actually up in Newburgh, New York, and all the striper fishermen are out in their yeah. boats because I guess there's nothing else better to do right now. <laughs> yeah. How how has um how has this current crisis that we that we're in ha- how has that affected you as far as having to pivot or transition your business plan? Business, yes, right, right. Yes. There, a lot of restaurants are are doing takeout. So, um, how has that affected you? Well, I'm happy to see that um, a lot of restaurants have pivoted to doing takeout. Um, and hopefully, you know, got those some of those small business loans, which we also have applied for and are, are waiting for some. But nobody's really doing oysters on the half shell for takeout. You know, we, we've but, been doing yeah. a lot of value added stuff now. We've been doing shucked oysters. We partnered with a local purveyor out here, uh, the firm, Fermented Farm Goods. We came out with an oyster kimchi. That's really good. That, that sounds yeah. that sounds amazing, and that is the sounds one gnarly, but actually it was really good. And um, and uh, we also just came out with an oyster quiche, partnered oh, wow. with another chef out here, Balos Balos Foods, and uh, he's got an oyster quiche that we just came out with. And I was 
blown away by how quick this guy figured it out and we got it into production. So we're trying to get that out to some farm stands and, and uh, you know, maybe some restaurants can start using the shucked oysters a little bit. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. What about oyster beer? <laughs> um, we're supposed to be partnering with Big Alice Brewery in, is that Long Island City? In Long Island City. That's awesome. Um, in June, the guys wanted to come out, check out the farm. We were going to pull oysters and do an oyster stout with them, which would have been great for my up island customers and to absolutely with somebody a little bit up that way so yeah. i hope i should touch base with them i hope it's still on and maybe if anything maybe it gets pushed back a little bit but i want to have those guys out on the farm and um i was looking forward to doing an oyster stout a light we're going to do a lighter oyster stout for this summer. that's brilliant that sounds fantastic there i i mean oysters are so versatile and yeah. i'm sure you can do a lot of collaborating with a lot of different folks in the food and beverage industry um, and uh, especially like kimchi. Kimchi is the one thing that you, if you try and make it yourself and you keep it in your house, you're gonna you're gonna kick everyone out of the house because it's because yeah. <laughs> of the smell. But uh, so I, I have a quick question for you. I'm not the biggest seafood lover. I do like oysters and a few other shellfish. Are they shellfish? Yeah, <laughs> of shellfish, right? They got shells. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Um, so if I'm looking, what do I look for if I'm buying, if I want to buy oysters? Good question. Thanks. Well, um, I would try to look for a nice, pretty uh, one that has a, a nice shape. You want to you wanna feel the oyster. First of all, feel that it's cold. And you also want to feel that it's got a little weight to it. Okay. Usually when they got a little weight to them, that means the shell is, is nice and thick and dense. And it should be relatively easy to open. And also, it's probably going to be an older, more meatier oyster. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so it's like some of our stuff that grows really fast, they'll be like, you'll pick them up. It's like picking up air and it's <laughs> skinny. And those so, ones we'll put back. So heavy's good. Yeah, heavy, heavy's good. We got some that feel like rocks when you pick them up, even if they're really small. And you pop them open and they just like got really fat bellies. They're like white and creamy yeah. looking really healthy yeah yeah we had we had an experience with your oysters a while ago uh we were in the area and we got a we got a dozen uh dozen oysters to go and we took them home and we did a we baked them actually out on a kayak trip we took our yeah that's we took, cool we took all of our our, our stuff with us and like a little grill a little grill and we did uh baked oysters with uh with a little bit of goat cheese spinach and bacon and, uh, and it, wow. it was killer. it was good it was killer <laughs> and the fact that you've got these well-cupped oysters when you pop them the 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 liquor the oyster liquor doesn't pour out you know so it stays in there like a nice little terrine so yeah they're uh, perfect for for doing all sorts of baked stuff yeah well when you guys are up here Next time, I'll give you some of my super large. We call them the dinosaurs. I got some super large old ones. They're almost like my pets. Got a couple, <laughs> a couple cases of those that I break out for, for people sometimes. That's kind of like it's kind of like a got, you know they a, got names. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like a distillery. Like, let me take out the ten year old barrel for you. Let's, let's yeah, sample really, that. Yeah. Let's sample that like one. Johnny Walker. Johnny yeah. Walker Red Label. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna bust out this one pounder. <laughs> Wow. That's pretty. Wow. Well, I think we may, as things get a little bit 
back to some kind of normalcy. Uh, we'll definitely be down there. Yeah, we're definitely coming out. We've been out to uh, Greenport and had your oysters and some incredible cocktails at, um, oh, what's the name of the restaurant? Uh, it's right on the water. Um, Little Creek? Or? Little Creek. Yeah, Creek. Little yeah. Creek. Uh, just, yeah, I've kind of, kind of dreaming of that place. And yeah. um, they're fantastic, and their cocktail program is is amazing. But if yeah, hopefully they'll, they'll be able to have some people over there sitting outside, six feet apart, shucking. Well, them. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Now, when when you guys when you shuck your oysters uh, to buy to you know for to go, um, do, do you have a processing area that you just you just guys just all get together and just you're pounding out shuck away? You're shucking away. Well, uh, my operation rents a commercial kitchen space down the road from here. So, okay. you know, we have that address on our label and all the other required information. But they actually did the uh, Ag and Markets and DEC just came out with an exemption that allows um, people with the right DEC permit to actually do it at home to give people a little more flexibility in That's getting great. rid of products since since some of the markets are all messed up now. You yeah, know. Right, right, right. That's great. So it's been, it's been some help there from the regulatory agencies, which is which great. Is good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think awesome. there's also something else that we saw a couple of videos of you and, and your girlfriend, uh, something that you're famous for doing, which is an oyster stuffing. Yeah. Is, is that like, is that your signature? Like, what's, what's your, do you, <laughs> yeah. do you, do you yeah. ever get sick of oysters, number one? And number two, number two, what are your some of your favorite dishes, both cold and and cooked? I'll have to think about it. Yeah, it's funny because they let us do the farm stand here in South Old Town, which which was great because we're farmers, but I'm not growing anything on this property. My farm is out on the bay, so they let us have our farm stand here. I'm only oh, allowed great. to sell what I grow. I only grow oysters. So then I thought, well, you know, what else can I do? So I've like you said, it's, it's actually a pretty diverse food. You can do so many things from kimchi to quiches to, you know, I got a lot of other ideas I might not want to give out. <laughs> Don't share them. Don't share them. It's all good. But uh, I, I really like uh, a, a shucked oyster with some simple herb butter on it. Ooh. Um, usually when we're out on the farm, I'll have like half a dozen for breakfast every day because, you know, they're you super can. good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but this stuffing is really good i really like any recipe that uses the liqueur as well as the meats because the liqueur it's not just salt water it's actually like the blood of the oyster yeah it gives a really good flavor yeah that's yeah. some of the best and that's what we, we did an oyster a toasted uh lobster and oyster pilsner and the, the that's li- right the lick the liquor was so bright. oh the br- uh, the brine so, uh, just gave it a little kick right yeah it was fantastic it was fantastic yeah. Um, Where was that? Where was that from? That was, we, we, we collaborated. Go for it, Rich. Uh, we collaborated. We did an event uh, five years ago um, with, I want to say Captain Lawrence, but it's not Captain Lawrence. Red uh, Hook. Red Hook up Brewery. In, um, up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And um, we went out and, uh, yeah, and we ended up making a, uh, I think that was a uh, light stout one, isn't it? It was. It was a toasted pilsner. Um, we went out with the guys that have a oyster farm on the Piscataqua River, uh, just just uh, outside of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and um, 
there, we actually were able to go out on the oyster on the actual boats and and we did some harvesting, which was pretty cool. And then we That's went cool. we went back to the brewery and um, shucked. We shucked and then we took the lobsters. We actually cooked them in the wort and took the lobsters out, picked them clean, and had them for lunch. So yeah, they're, <laughs> so, so good. There's so much you can do with it. Yeah. yeah, I like I like the idea of doing a lighter beer with oysters because everybody does a dark stout in the right. fall. Right. But um, yeah, that sounds interesting, and it's pretty interesting in New Hampshire too. A little bit of coastline, but quite a few guys growing up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah and the Piscataqua has cleaned up quite a bit, you know, like many other estuaries and rivers. And that's uh, great. hopefully, that's gonna that that will continue. Yeah, we had we worked with Andy Schwartz from he was the head brewer at at Red Hook, who is now in a new brewery in Connecticut. Uh, and he might be elsewhere now, maybe. Yeah, he's at Docksides. In, uh, which he is was in, at Stony Creek, right? Yeah, he was Stony Creek, and now he's at Docksides. Right. So, um, he's a great guy. Yeah, and that's why, Matt, That's he wanted to do a, a toasted Pilsner because he thought the stout would be, would l you'd lose the flavor of the lobster and the, and the oyster. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we, we're going to have to come down and... We, we have a few restaurants and chefs that maybe it'll warrant us to come down and, like, do a pickup. <laughs> maybe, we, cool. maybe we do a road trip down there as things get better. That's, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I, think that, I think that is definitely needed. Um, what do you – so we actually – one of the restaurants that we kind of have a relationship with, uh, we're trying to think the best – things to pair oysters with as far as drinking goes and uh yeah i i would have gone i always assume if i'm drinking the beer with oysters it has to be pbr 100 <laughs> percent. i i don't know why <laughs> we, it's like the rules uh, we we there's a uh there's a restaurant up here that gives you uh you get eight oysters you get or sorry half dozen oysters and a pbr for eight bucks, I think I heard about that spot somewhere. Yeah, yeah. The, far, oh, the farmer, the farmer, and the fish. So for twenty dollars, right? Twenty dollars, you get a dozen oysters and a couple of cold, crisp PBRs, and it, and, awesome. and it is really good. I think that's why my uh, association came in. <laughs> what's What's your favorite pair with Matt? Um, any local white wine? We got a couple. Of great vineyards like literally right around the block here and you know we've done a lot of events with them got sparkling point down yep. the road here got some great sparklings um and pominock that we shuck our oysters at normally every weekend they have a chenin blanc uh -huh. and as well as their sabi that is like excellent out of this world with the oysters and it's kind of cool that you're you know you're having a locally grown and produced wine with a locally grown and produced oyster. So <laughs> yeah. it kind of makes Na neighbors. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like the it's almost like you know the be. flavors yeah. sort of work together like it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, tasted together. Yeah, so That's awesome. so we we have another recording. We're we're trying to think of of something unique paired with oysters, and we have a restaurant up in the Hudson Valley called Mama Roo, which is uh, a New Orleans style restaurant that does some pretty pretty unique stuff and have a, a unique cocktail program she's probably gonna make us come down and get oysters from you because she does po boys oh great um, you make it sound like a chore it, well yeah <laughs> she's, she's gonna make us go down there damn it <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
So um, we recorded her earlier. We we got this cocktail, um, which is Matt. Do you know what a Negroni is? Uh, it, yeah, it's a, it's oh. a it's a gin it's a gin based cocktail, and okay. she she did a twist on it with with like a roasted pineapple, and um, and we had it last night as a slushy, and the only thing that was missing were oysters, but we could imagine it. So we're, so we recorded her early, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play her her twist on a Negroni here. Let's see if we can get this up. All right, so we have Sterling from a restaurant. Are we recording right now? We are recording. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, three-way <laughs> from three different places. Something really clever. <laughs> yeah, after all that. So we have, we were trying to think of, I mean, there's so many things that pair well with oysters, whether they're on the half shell, whether they are cooked. Um, and we were trying to think of, you know, some pairings and... We immediately thought of you, Sterling, and this cocktail that you made, uh, which is a, a play on a classic Italian cocktail, Negroni. And Rich, you're not familiar with a Negroni. I've heard of a Negroni. Never had one. Okay. So, no idea. this... Is Negroni always gin-based? Uh, yes, it is. Um, okay. It's uh, equal parts gin, Campari, and sweet wheat. Yeah, it is. And you have uh, you have one. If you have one, you're fine. You have two on the streets of Milan, and you forget where your Airbnb is. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which could be a good thing. Yes. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts, Sterling, on on this cl- this twist on a classic, the Sable, and how the story behind it, and whether or not it it holds up well to to oysters? What did you say? Sable. It's called Sable. Which is? That's good. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Um, Yeah, so I, um, you know, at Mama Roo, I had this this cocktail on the menu. It's a take on a Negroni, but it's a white Negroni, um, meaning it uses uh, Bianco vermouth rather than a a dark sweet vermouth. Uh, It uses uh, Sue's uh, wild gentine um, Italian uh, liqueur. Um, and of course, uh, the beautiful aromatic uh, Spirit Labs gin. Spirit Labs. Always oh, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little uh, partial to that. <laughs> uh, by the way, people that listen to this, uh, Sterling is a restaurateur in Newburgh, New York. Yes. So when we're back on our feet, go visit. Yeah, yeah, that's coming. It's coming soon. Yeah, It'll, yeah, H- happening somewhere there. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the classic cocktail, it was it, it, in the cocktail at Mamaru, it was a stirred cocktail, and it just had a rinse of Giffard pineapple. So when doing this take of the, uh, the Negroni, um, paired, up with, paired up with the Spirit Lab, um, which has been such, a, such an amazing experience with two awesome. pretty fantastic people. Um, but, you know, I kind of thought, oh, you know, it's happy times now. Let's bring on some sunshine. Let's bring on some happy cocktails. Um, also, my background, I'm from New Orleans. And uh, nothing says New Orleans like a uh, slushy machine. Nope. Uh, or a frozen daiquiri machine. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to do a white Negroni uh, slushy. Oh, wow. With this. So uh, I charred off some pineapple, added some lime, uh, the same base spirits as the gin, uh, the Bianca Vermouth, and 
um, the Sous. Uh, whipped it up in a blender and it makes this nice, beautiful, frothy uh, slushy. Uh, I, I, that sounds like summertime heaven. It is. It's, yeah, it is. I think we're all thinking about happy, happy frozen, yeah. happy summer. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting next to the river. Mm-hmm. All right. So that that's uh, what she came up with, which was phenomenal, um, which is this white Negroni. So that's on our list to to have with, uh, with, to, have with to have with our oysters. So uh, if if we do come down to to, to visit and pick up some uh, supplies, we'll we'll bring you down a bottle. Maybe we'll buy wow. it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we we could do a straight up trade. That's good. Okay. Yeah. We're <laughs> do you do you do a lot of bar like barting bartering with uh, with with you know uh, with your oysters or or can you not talk about that? <laughs> oh, well, we absolutely do a lot. I mean bring some of my friends you know a bag of oysters or two and not even that many of them they'll give me a basket of usually you know if they have a lot of sweet potatoes or have a lot of squash but if you know how to store those things you know they'll last a while and um right now everybody's really been working together out here people don't want to go to the supermarkets anymore now they want to just go to the the local Local. stands absolutely Yeah, yeah um so they've been bringing a lot of different stuff in and whatever's left over, you know, give them some oysters or whatever else we have here. I've been giving some products out to get people's feedback. And, That's yeah, really cool. A lot, lot of greens and a lot of sweet potatoes and squash and whatever's around. That's great. That's great. I think that's one of the, the positive elements that think- might that might be coming out of this is, is people are staying closer. They're trying to yeah. shop local. It's safer you know, farm markets uh, have been operating throughout this whole crisis, and if it's done right, you know, people feel safer than going to a store. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the big asparagus to pop up out here. It's like yeah. the most tremendous thing out here. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you guys, yeah, you, like yeah, and you guys are in. You know, we're only you know a few hours two away. Hours? Yeah, two, three hours away, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're in a completely different growing zone. There's things that yeah. will grow down there because you get that warm sea air that we just don't get up in the Hudson Valley. Right. So yeah, it's an interesting climate here. Yeah. With the sea breeze. So what do you see? What do you see for the future? Uh. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> <anyone>. <laughs> I'm trying to take it week by week. I yep. don't know if this is going to sh- shake a lot of people out or um, if all the government spending is going to cause some crazy economy, you know, down the road or if everything's going to be fine and we'll be back to normal and great economy and yep. uh, this industry growing still, which I'd like to see. But I think the future of our industry is going to be uh shipping our oysters you know to the towards the middle of the country instead of all of us competing in one market here in the city and our local towns you know we're starting to saturate the market i think yeah just start getting stuff uh out of the state you know figure out the transportation a little more we actually just started shipping through fedex to basically like the eastern half of the country so actually i can try to send you guys something if you'd like that would be oh, awesome that would be awesome yeah let's try it and make sure you know because just about to start it but we needed to get a couple more test shipments in we will be guinea pigs for you yeah happy awesome. to 
<laughs> we may have to barter. We might have to ship you some uh, some booze. I got some eggs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> on on. That's the, how well those ship. <laughs> <laughs> on, on that note, um, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough for. We can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time and and filling us in you know so many people eat and consume local oysters they just don't know the story behind it and that's kind of what we're about so thank you thank you for taking the time oh, on, yeah, our, on our yeah, first virtual podcast yeah <laughs> yeah it was easy it's fine so uh let's stay in touch Thanks, and um hopefully we'll uh be consuming some of your oysters soon so awesome on that note thank you matt and uh how do we find you uh real quick um, well, we're on Instagram, Peconic Gold Oysters, yep. and we also have our website up and running, uh, which is great. That's PeconicGoldOysters.com. We're also on Facebook, and you can find my cell phone number anywhere on there and order oysters or email us, Matt, at Peconic Gold Oysters. Yeah, and, the f- and, and, and I think you put your actual cell phone number up on the website, so that's like personally getting in touch with you. Yeah, I'm answering the phone all That's day cool. when we're out, and uh, you know it's a little wild sometimes. But I just keep good notes, and if people order oysters for me, I, you know, a large quantity, I'll set it to the side for them and make sure they get them. Otherwise, our farm stand is fully stocked all day, every day, with all the products that we have to offer, and it's self-serve, contactless. Uh, we do Venmo or cash, and if somebody's at the house. To run the square, or they want to do the square over the phone, we also can do that. That's great. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, and, and that's our uh, farm stand here in Kutchog, but the address is up on the website for that. Uh, we're going to attach links to this too. So, Abs- uh, oh, excellent. Cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll share it. All right. Awesome. Well, well, thank you very much, and we look forward to uh, meeting up with you uh, for real. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Thank, hey, thanks, well, man. thank you so much. Take care. Right, and everyone, everyone else, take care out there. Thanks for stopping by and listening in. Check us out as well as other great podcasts at Food and Beverage Magazine's Podcast Network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And remember to eat, imbibe, and dream. See you next show.